The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. There is a time for There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Showtime. Welcome to the show, folks. I'm Brent Holland. Welcome, one and all, to Night Fright. Tonight, folks, a guest all the way from California, where it is much warmer than it is here in Kingston, Ontario. That I can guarantee. Lon Milo Duquette is our guest tonight. Lon Milo, of course, uh, fans of the show will know. Uh, he's uh, written a book called The Wiser Book of the Horror and the Occult, Hidden Magic, Occult Truce, and the Stories that Started It All. And this is from the beginning of his book, by the way, folks. Horror is the literature of the damned, a demon child art form conceived in the fertile depths of subconscious hell, gestated in the lonely womb of fear and despair, brought to troubled birth by the midwife of tortured obsession and reared to grotesque maturity in the prison asylum of a terrified imagination. Horror to be truly horror, must be more than a frightening story. It must be a cloistered odyssey, a claustrophobic dance with madness, and above all, horror must be traumatic and soul-mutating spiritual experiences, sublime, elegant, and terrible. Okay, we've got to take this apart, Lana. <laughs> <laughs> I was paid by the word. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. I love it. I love it, buddy. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. Now you've put this wonderful book together, and here are some of the people that he's featured in the book. By the way, folks, Alistair Crowley goes without saying. Um, you know, he was called the wickedest man in the world, and uh, he was labeled a Satanist, and all these evil things, of course, diff much different era, you know, turn of the, uh, the 19th century. Arthur uh, Macon, uh, Stephen King called his, his novella the, the Great God Pan, the best horror story ever written. Edgar Allan Poe, he's best known for his tales of mystery and the macabre. Poe was one of the earliest American practitioners of the short story and is generally considered the inventor of the detective fiction genre. H.P. Lovecraft died in poverty. He's now regarded as one of the most significant 20th century authors in his genre. So he's got all these wonderful, and there's more in this book. And you've written this and a demon child art form. K 
can you explain to the listeners what you meant by that? <laughs> well, the, the, you know, all of a sudden they've got this vision of um, what was the Gregory the Omen, the Gregory Peck movie. This little kid running around and there's somebody's under the ice and oh my goodness me. So, well, the, the, I guess we should start with the, with the last uh, little phrase. It's an art form, okay? okay. Uh, uh, that that immediately puts it uh, puts it elevates it to to uh, uh, another uh, another st stature. Okay, it's a, it's an art form, but it's an art form. Then the next word we should look at is child, and a child is something that 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 uh, that that grows, that turns into something, that matures, that that wisens up, that mellows, that uh, that ripens. Okay, uh, it's a child. Okay. Secondly, well. a child is in its own way terrible. A, a child is. A child will pull the wings off of flies. A child will bully other children. But the child is also innocent and beautiful and 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 natural. And the a child has has no other driving force but to grow, to to nourish itself and and to grow. But it's a demon child. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a demon child art form, and so the uh, we we just discussed uh, uh, a few minutes ago that this idea of the demons uh, actually do all of the heavy lifting uh, in the the universe, and they are only evil in so much as when they are uncontrolled and undirected, they're destructive in the same way as heavy machinery is destructive. If we leave the key on at night and jump and put it in gear and then jump off and let the heavy machinery run through town all night, okay, it's destructive. But when it's directed by a, by a knowledgeable operator, it's very constructive. You build things with it. You, you, uh, you clear area. It becomes a... So a demon child art form, the demon is also very colorful, scary, and, and potentially, if you can control it, helpful. If but you it, can control it. If you can control it in the same way that, that, uh, that a person who's uh, 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 holding that, that horror novel uh, in their in their quaking hands with the nightlight on, is in control of whether they turn that next page tonight or do it in the in the light of uh, uh, and safety uh, of day. Right. What uh, uh, what I think is interesting. Uh, we've those of us that spent a lot of time in, in the twentieth century. Okay, at least. Um, I've had a lot of exposure to to uh, horror in its different uh, uh, expressions, and uh, uh, I'm thinking uh, mostly cinematic because uh, uh, more people go to the movies and read. <laughs> okay, uh, and and so we uh, we're sort of just all amateur experts in horror, and uh, and we we've, we've seen. 
uh, uh, great horror films and read great horror stories. And we've also seen it develop into these just uh, 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 gory, slasher, uh, violent shock after shock after shock, things that that passing itself off as, as horror. And it, what it really is 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 just gore. Okay. Now, there can be gore in horror, but, you know, too much gore gets old and boring, too. And there's got to be some wit behind it. And, and uh, Is it a, um, a balance between tension and the unknown? Uh, of course. And, and the, the idea that the horror is in us. Okay. Right. Uh, the horror is, is in us. The... Students of Shakespeare uh, always comment on the fact that that uh, uh, great battle scenes in uh, a Shakespeare play, you know, there's only six people in the entire Shakespearean company, you know, doing this entire play, but they're talking Julius Caesar, you know, or something. They're doing having a huge battle or a naval battle, and of course they can't do it on stage. And uh, so one of the characters describes what's going on off off stage and he throws all the responsibility for the horror and the gore and the nightmarish slaughter of thousands of people and the smoke and the smell and the blood and all of that it has to come out of the the audience's own mind and that that's what brilliant brilliant horror does uh, what I said at first about how when I first read Edgar Allan Poe, it gave me my own narrative voice. Okay, It also introduced me to the infinite potential of my own imagination. Let's go. What is the infinite potential of your own imagination? What ha where you started and where you are now, what has changed? <laughs> to tell you the truth, Brent, I don't know. I still feel 14, okay? okay. Uh, when people ask me how old I am, the first thing that comes to my head is, I'm 14. Does, has your imagination expanded? Has it gone in a different direction? I have to think, I have to, uh, think it has, okay? But I am so close to myself that I haven't haven't uh, you know been aware that it's that it's happened uh i do know one thing that i couldn't uh, sit down and write a, a novel i've written a couple of novels besides my my other you know more textbook kind of occult books i i couldn't have done that when i was 14 obviously something is has uh, has opened up and when but, you're writing those novels do you ever rein yourself in and do you fear going to certain places? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, I've had to throw a, a few days' writings away that didn't that didn't work because I, I uh, uh, later judged well. I don't want to go in that direction, but I've never reined myself in. Uh, uh, but that's just sort of p part of my writing technique. I. Uh, when I'm on something, I I write 
even if it's if it's something I'm going to throw away. Uh, it's almost like, well, I got to get that out so I can get some good stuff. You're writing from a fear that's inside yourself. Are you cognizant that that fear might also be in the reader as well? Do those two, do you even care about what the reader thinks or is it just something that you have to do? The, well, I don't write horror stories uh, per, per, per se. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, I fear either in myself or the, the reader is not, not my subject matter or my mo- motivation. Okay. Um, uh, uh, so the uh, where I'm coming from is is uh, uh, I I want to faithfully uh, express my own inner narrative, uh, and and I'm I try to be careful uh, to do that in such a way as uh, uh, even if I have to craft one paragraph for three days. Uh, I still have to be satisfied that that paragraph f- flows uh, naturally out of my uh, soul, and um, so it, it has to has to ring true for me, or I don't let it go. Okay. And so, so, and but then, but after that, I let the chips fall where they may. Either a person likes it or, or they don't like it. What's interesting with uh, some of the characters that um, of the authors that are in the in the book, um, I said that they're the founding fathers of the genre of horror, and they really are. Uh, and it's more than just Poe. You know, everybody more or less uh, uh, recognizes H.P. Lovecraft as the the almost a god of 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 horror. Okay, he's he, the George Washington. He's he, well to tell you the truth. He's uh, uh, there was a guy that came before H.P. Lovecraft that hardly anybody gives any uh, uh, credit to, and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft certainly gave credit to, and it's a guy named Robert W. Chambers. And I've got. Um, uh, Robert W. Chambers' story uh, uh, included in the in this book, and he also wrote a series of uh, of stories uh, called "The King in Yellow." Have you? No, have I you don't ever heard of the all. King? Okay. Nobody else has uh, has either. Can you give and, us a, a uh, synopsis, an overview, just to entice well, folks? Well, uh, "The King in Yellow" is about a half a dozen short stories that are loosely connected by one factor and that one factor is a book and in some cases a play called the king in yellow and the book is so frightening that anyone who actually reads the book goes insane i mean say about the kabbalah if you read it before you're 40 yeah, you, yeah, you could say that. Maybe it's true. Maybe that's what happened to me. <laughs> but the King in Yellow is uh, uh, each of the stories are, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I wish 
I could say it was, uh, you know, uh, one seamless move from one story to another, uh, but it isn't. It, it's more, it's more freestyle than that. Uh, but what it does, well, I'll give you one example of one of the stories in The King of Yellow, and uh, in a way, even the, the the story we've included here. Um, Chambers wrote these stories in around 1880, from 1879 to 1885, kind of, or 1888 kind of thing. And he wrote almost like a science fiction story that takes place in the future, and the future is 1922. Interesting. Okay. Already, at least from, from our modern point of view, already, do you see what that just did to your head? <laughs> okay. <laughs> to, to try to picture a uh, science fiction future of uh, Washington, D.C. and an America that since the Civil War has been more or less ruled by uh, almost benevolent military dictatorship. Okay. Can you see the alternate reality that that yeah. that he's he's painting here, and then within that within that uh, uh, new alternate reality, he has a character uh, who he describes with so much elegant texture in his description of of. Uh, uh, the person and the person's thoughts and observations, because Chambers was uh, uh, a very classically, formally trained uh, artist. I see. And you don't even know, even when you're through reading it, if the character that you've cared about and, and have followed through the whole thing is not completely insane and it makes you at every point doubt and examine your own sanity okay it's it's absolutely so that's i can understand how that can be terrifying yeah one of the top 10 things is it's fear of death i think is number one number two is fear of insanity if i'm not mistaken yeah Public speaking might be right up, yeah, right up in there yeah. at the at the top of that too. Yeah. So so uh, I'm a real fan of Chambers and and I um, uh, another project that I did for Wiser uh, was uh, an ebook series of The King in Yellow. Um, uh, we published that. Another guy was uh, Bulwar Lytton, uh, and Bulwar Lytton actually belonged to to magical societies in the, the earlier part of the, the, the 19th century. Mm -hmm. And uh, he belonged to occult organizations. He was a Kabbalist. His story, Zanoni, is, uh, is a famous story of a, of a quote, Rosicrucian uh, uh, adept. And uh, he's a wonderful example of, of somebody who is, is intimately knowledgeable in the, the workings of formal magical societies uh, and technical magic. 
uh, who is also just a wonderful popular author. He wrote The Last Days of Pompeii. And uh, he's the guy that, that opened up, started a story. Uh, it was a dark and stormy night. That's right. That's one of his very famous sayings. That's one of his yeah. famous sayings. Uh, uh, he's the pen the guy is mightier that, than the sword. Uh, right. What was the other one? Um, Pursuit of the Almighty Dollar. There you go. Yeah. There you yeah. go. And there was yeah. several others, but those were the ones that. So he was already, and they wrote goofy things like uh, his first big, and he didn't need the money. Okay, he, he was like an ambassador and and, uh, and and stuff. He just did this as a as a lark, almost a gentleman's amateur thing. Yeah, and uh, but uh, but Lytton is just uh, Chambers wouldn't have been Chambers without Lytton. Uh, Lovecraft wouldn't have been Lovecraft without Chambers. Uh, Stephen King wouldn't be Stephen King without Lovecraft. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All of these guys. Uh, Ambrose Bierce wouldn't have been Ambrose Bierce without uh, uh, Chambers also. They were, uh, they were buddies and they included elements of each other's works mm -hmm. in, in, uh, mutually in their own works. Um, um, Actually, George Lytton was so famous, folks, uh, there's a county in both British Columbia and Quebec named after him, Lytton County. That's, uh, that's how famous he was. So, you know, if you ever wondered about the origins of those particular places, there you go. The book is called The Wiser Book of Horror and the Occult, Hidden Magic, Occult Truths, and the Stories that Started It All. And there, Lon's holding up uh, the cover of it because I didn't get the book. As is very obvious, because <laughs> I, I, usually I get a worry. chance to read the books and do my research, and you know I'll probably Aren't go to the post office box tomorrow, on and it'll be sitting there. Great. Well, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. I'm very much uh, looking forward to receiving it. www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest book cover. They'll take you right to a spot where you can order it from the comfort of your own home. H.P. Lovecraft. Now, here's a legend. Um, can we talk a little bit about him, uh, a little bit of the history uh, behind him, a little bit of uh, the Necromonicon um, in your opinion? Necromonicon, yeah. Let's go. Let's go. H.P. Lovecraft, can you give us a synopsis of, of H.P.? Well, I, you know, we'll I, wish, I wish I was a better, uh, you know, biographer of H.P. Uh, uh, Lovecraft. That's fine. I, just tell us what I, you know. I just, just am not. But uh, the uh, something that he obviously learned from uh, or was inspired uh, by Chambers is the, the uh, a fictitious piece of literature that uh, 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 figures prominently in many of his stories, many different stories, and uh, the instead of this king in yellow thing that uh, that chambers had running through uh, his stories uh lovecraft had this thing called the necronomicon okay and it's almost one of these books that drive people crazy it was like a um uh supposedly uh you know written you know by the a mad arab and uh, it was the, the the ultimate magical grimoire, and um, 
Uh, and all it, true, of course. It, Not a word of fiction in it, of course. Uh, so and, goes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, not only that, but and here's something that came directly from from Lovecraft that that is just so absolutely wonderful, uh, is that it was the key to uh, to opening up uh, a portal, if you will, to uh, a pre-ordered universe universe the uh the greeks had this idea that that before there was an ordered universe before the olympian gods there uh the the universe was a much rougher neighborhood and instead of the the ordered gods like zeus that had a king of the gods and and you know apollo and aphrodite and all before those guys the 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 universe was a rough and tumble environment ruled by titans okay and of course the capitalists will say well all of that's uh, you know a, a pre manifested uh universe but uh but also uh, uh physicists and astronomers will will say, well, it, it sounds like they're they're trying to e explain conditions uh, during the early phases of the Big Bang, uh, before the uh, uh, in conditions of great heat, before before the elements formed, uh, before gravity formed, uh, before the stars were lit, and things like that. Okay, and you you can find wonderful parallels in in this, but Lovecraft before there was a quantum you know theory for him to think about he latched he latched on to this 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 pre-creation uh uh universe that was ruled by these old ones and these old ones uh, uh weren't really dead they 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 were still slumbering in in potentiality uh, uh, while the rest of the ordered universe uh, 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 happily happily went went along, not realizing that their their whole universe was still um, based was still built on a foundation of this horrible hideousness, and nobody could describe hideousness as good as Lovecraft. I mean, he was king of hideous adjectives and adverbs, okay? He could just scare the daylights out of you with unspeakable hideousnesses, and, and he just scares you to, to death. But this Necronomicon was the, was the key that if that if you slavishly uh, uh, became somehow involved in awakening these old ones, that you would you would uh, 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 help them facilitate coming back to to destroy and devour. In, in hideousness, you know, the, the created universe. It makes apocalypse sound like, you know, a tea party, okay? 
and he and he could make you he could make you think that too and it's just absolutely wonderful and uh, uh, what's even more amazing is that there is while there's elements of of this in in uh, 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 classical uh, uh, spiritual uh, literature and and uh, cosmology mm-hmm. uh, okay in a way he's inventing a Kabbalah of his own interesting That's yeah a very interesting point and um, and so it's just absolutely one and and it's this book the Necronomicon okay uh, now th- you can go on the internet go to amazon.com and look up Necronomicon, and you can buy at least three absolutely beautiful editions of the Necronomicon. Okay, one's uh, just a beautiful kind of leather with silver thing in Necronomicon, and they they look pretty good. They look like you know real, real grimoires. Uh, but the thing to understand that even real grimoires are only somebody's made-up grimoires. Precisely, precisely. Okay. Lon Milo Ducat's our guest tonight, folks. The Wiser Book of Horror and the Occult. Hidden Magic, Occult Truths, and the Stories that Started It All. www.nightfrightshow.com Just click on tonight's guest book cover, and that'll take you right to a spot where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home. Okay, let's continue with some of the other authors that are in there. Bram Stoker. Now, here's a guy that is legendary for his book, Dracula. That started... Look at everything that's spawned off of that since. It's just unbelievable. We owe him almost everything. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, gee, without, without Bram Stoker, where would Bela Lugosi and, and uh, uh, even Boris Karloff? All of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cushing and, uh, and, and, yeah. and, you know, so. Yeah. And all the rest. Yeah. What was he so thinking? That- <laughs> You know, to, to tell you the truth, he was he was thinking more as an anthropologist, uh, hmm. not that he had a degree in anthropology or anything, but but he really was fascinated with the folk tales of Central Europe, and uh, uh, his his idea of the uh, the legends and stuff of Transylvania uh, are not fiction uh, unlike lovecraft that he pretty much made a lot of just pulled it right out of his hat you know yeah bram, bram stoker was was working with existing with existing legends and and um uh, uh historical data that may have been uh uh, uh misinterpreted uh uh, some of it, at least, might have been misinterpreted uh, uh, conclusions about the uh, condition of of corpses uh, during a during a time when uh, uh, tuberculosis uh, and and other conditions uh, caused many people to be uh, buried prematurely or while they were still alive. Still alive. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, for one reason or another, if uh, uh, the the grave or the the bodies of certain people were were forced to be uh, exhumed, and they opened up the casket and they saw that they were in just terrible nightmarish 
uh, uh, condition. Um, uh, all sorts of stories, uh, uh, you know, could could be created to 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 match that 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 evidence, and uh, so the uh, to keep uh, uh, one superstition leads to another, and when when uh, when somebody dies, uh, maybe at a, at a young age, to to keep. Uh, uh, the imaginary vampires away uh, from them. They'll dig them up and drive a st stake through their hearts, and yeah, and uh, it, and all of that stuff was going on. Yeah. Okay, it really was going on, and uh, uh, in in my introduction, was he also I, influenced? Do you think, Lon? You know, I've always pondered this by the political, the geopolitical things that were going on at the time. I think all of those people that that hung around the the, the characters that were in England at least yeah. were uh, uh, members of the Golden Dawn, that magical society, Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. There's no proof that uh, uh, Bram Stoker was a member of the Golden Dawn. Uh, and there's no uh, there's no records of Conan Doyle, Arthur Conan Doyle uh, being a member of the Golden Dawn, but they all hung out with Golden Dawn people. Yeah. Okay, they they were there's no doubt that they were all all friends, and there is nothing for us to um, uh, you know the Golden Dawns uh, you know if you wanted to remain anonymous in the golden dawn mm -hmm. you could just just say don't put my name in your records you know and they, they would have uh, uh but the, there there's no doubt that they they hung out with uh with each other and that's where alistair crowley comes in okay good segue yeah good segue to alistair crowley and because he joined the golden dawn about 1898 just at the uh, as the Golden Dawn was about ready to to uh, blow up, but Grant, Bram Stoker and all of the Golden Dawn people, there were people in government. Uh, uh, the interesting things were 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 going on. Uh, the you know monarchies were falling all all yes. over uh, yeah, all over Europe, yeah. and it and it made just because it said eighteen something, you know, eighteen ninety eight. We think, oh, that's so long ago, but it wasn't. It was just a few years mm. before, say, the Ruff Russian Revolution. Uh, it was just a few years be be before, you know, great sweeping uh, uh, changes and World War One. And uh, 1888 was, you know, you and me, Brent, can all almost remember it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, also in London, Jack the Ripper was at its height. At that point, was it eighty-seven, eighty-eight? Right. So all that's yeah. got to play into it too. All, all of that. It was just very. London was a was a was a, uh, for as gray as it was, it was a very colorful place. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, it had it had smog alerts that killed lots of people just breathing the, the, you know cool the, yeah, the, thick the steam, and the stench, and you can just. This, yeah, the steampunk air. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, was Crowley different than the others? 
Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, that's loaded. I can see there's stuff behind the way you said that. Yeah, he was different than the others, uh, but uh, not as different as you, you may think. They were, they were all wonderful, beautifully, outrageously eccentric people. And uh, Crowley just outdid him in his his eccentricities, uh, but he he also was probably the 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 most scintillatingly uh, genius of any of them. Oh, please please expand on that if you would for us. Uh, have you ever? had a genius as a friend absolutely i have several they're not always the easiest people to get along with they're they're um uh, they kind of live in their own their own idaho and and you're really lucky just to be able to sort of sort of um uh, hang around and and um it's like like a, a genius celebrity of some kind. Uh, they can be dangerous people to be around, just because they've got their. Uh, it's like they've got a super big job to do, and you're. Uh, uh, they don't care so much about your feelings in particular. Okay, they're, it's not that they're unfeeling or anything. It's just that their job, their focus is so, is so uh, so great that sometimes you can be marginalized. <laughs> okay, is genius borderline? Borderline? Do you feel narcissism to a certain oh, degree, well, or, or is and, the narcissism I, just the drive behind the genius? Well, the, the, I don't. I think you, you could be hard-pressed to find a, uh, a bigger narcissist than, than Alistair Crowley, uh, uh, at least at least one one way of, uh, of uh, interpreting that word. Uh, but it's, it's almost like, uh, remember what we were talking about, the, this dimension and the, yes, the, 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 the thick dimension? It's almost like geniuses are already thinking in this bigger other dimension, and we're tr we're trying to relate to them. We're trying to, hang <laughs> you know, on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, from from that. Uh, Crowley his bad reputation that he was a Satanist and he was worshiping the devil and things like that. Um, is there any truth to any of these rumors? Well, do you think there's a devil to to worship? <laughs> You know, uh, to to Crowley, that that would have been uh, uh, the the question. If somebody said, "Do you worship the devil?" and you'd go, "Well, you know, I don't believe in the devil enough to to worship it." And, uh, and what you think the devil is, I don't even think exists. Okay, let's let's continue with uh, Alistair Crowley. We, I was asking you. What made him different? You were saying uh, pure genius. Uh, pure well, genius. Uh, pure genius and, and audacity. Uh, um, he is uh, was the type of person that that uh, uh, tried to uh, 
be as educated as a person could possibly be in, in any subject that, that uh, captured his uh, passion. And then he would be happy to give his uh, uh, opinion <laughs> on that subject to absolutely anybody who cared to listen. And, uh, and uh, many people who didn't even care to listen. Okay. Uh, How did he get the bad reputation when guys like Arthur Conan Doyle went on to fame and glory and H.P. Lovecraft as well? They never really got the bad well, boy reputation. That's because they must have cared what people thought about them. Uh, uh, Crowley was a great uh, and record-breaking mountain climber. There's quite a few of his mountain climbing uh, uh, exploits that still hold. The records still hold, and so you can you can uh, in any coffee table mountain climbing book you can find Aleister Crowley and pictures of him and, and things. And uh, 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 on one expedition, uh, a couple of his uh, uh, native porters uh, fell to their deaths. Okay, it happens. And uh, 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 and uh, the, the the porters that uh, they had hired for that expedition had mutinied the year before with a uh, uh, a German climbing uh, party, I believe, and they killed the, the European their European bosses. So they hired, had to hire the same people that killed the expedition the year before okay so crowley had uh, was faced with the, the the prospect of going back down the mountain and telling the other guys hey it's so dangerous up ahead that two of your your people just fell to their death okay they would have mutinied they would have been killed too okay but crowley was such a wild character he came back and he didn't even mention that the guys were gone and when they when the other uh, natives asked about where where the the two missing porters were Crowley says oh I shot them and ate them <laughs> and it was so outrageous okay it was absolutely so outrageous that that the the rest of them at least half believed it and that those that didn't believe it thought that this man was so insane that let's just not kill him. <laughs> okay. So word got back uh, and, and uh, through people that didn't like Crowley in the Alpine uh, Club, word got back. So when Crowley got back to, to India, uh, when the, the expedition was over, uh, reporters said, is it true that you killed and ate two of your Sherpas? Okay, now what would you say? Okay, it's so absurd that uh, that somebody would actually accuse you of doing it. Uh, so you and me both would go would go, yeah, of course, you know, of course they did, you know. And Crowley figured everybody's going to get the joke. Okay, everybody but took him seriously. Everybody took him. Uh, he's a cannibal. Then to to the day he died, and so uh, that. Is it true you're a Satanist? Oh, sure. Oh, oh yeah, I'm a Satanist. Uh, yeah. But, and he's looking from a Kabbalistic point of view. Well, we're all Satanists. And, yeah, it's, yeah. But no. And then after a while, he said, 
to himself, more or less, you know, this is a pretty good thing. Because if somebody is so stupid to think that I'm evil for trying to study the holiest things on the planet, for trying to grasp the holiest the holiest um, uh, uh, sciences of consciousness in the way if you think that's evil if you're so stupid you think that's evil then you deserve to think that that's evil I don't want you in my I don't want you as a disciple I don't want you reading my books you know and and it finally dawned on him that long after he was dead all of his works that are, that aren't truly only appreciated by a very small percentage of people that, that are exposed to him. If it wasn't for the people that hated him, hmm. the people that hated him kept his books in print. If it wasn't for his enemies, he would have gone into obscurity. And he more or less went ahead and cultivated What do I got to lose? He's thinking about uh, his, his legacy. And so uh, if the people that hate him are going to keep his books in print, hate me. Hate me, yeah. yeah. So I can make a living. You know, there's yeah. another story about Alistair Crowley that um, I was reading about, and it has to do with Rudolf Hess. Uh, Rudolf Hess, folks, was the deputy Fuhrer. He was next in line under Hitler. Well, he made an attempt to land in Britain, Rudolf Hess did. He grabbed a plane and went to Britain during the war in the hopes of making some kind of peace accommodation, if you will, with Britain. And one of the people that got to interview Rudolf Hess and questioned him was Alistair Crowley. Isn't that an amazing story? Uh, Is that bunk? No, it's not. <laughs> okay, I, I, because I, I was reading it and I thought, okay, well, this could be, but perhaps it's not, because you never know, right? Right. Um, have you heard of Sidney Riley? The name is, or, could you put him in context for me? The, uh, the BBC series Riley Ace of Spies. Sidney Riley was, is the, the modern... Uh, or at least early 20th century equivalent and model for James Bond. Okay. Sidney Riley was was the world's most flamboyant and wonderful and horrible and and uh, uh, sexy spy for England. Uh, he's a real character. The guy that wrote the 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 book that the BBC made the series star starring Sam Neill. Uh, also wrote a book on Alistair Crowley, Secret Agent 666. Okay. Alistair Crowley went to Cambridge, supposedly with an ambition to be a, quote, diplomat. Okay. Okay. You don't go to college to be a diplomat, okay? Okay. If you say you're in college to be a diplomat, you've already been recruited by intelligence. MI6, okay. I guess, or MI5. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or whatever the equivalent name was in those yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, uh, Crowley, even though there, 
MI5 or MI6 would, will, would not confirm or deny this. Uh, still, the guy uh, that's not a magician or an occultist or anything else wrote the, the, the story on Crowley that, of course, he was. Uh, Crowley since his college days because he was uh, uh, spies were were amateurs in those days they were gentlemen in those days they had their own money they traveled on their own dollar okay but they traveled in literary and arts uh, uh, circles and they were spies and it's funny to think that he was being forgive the pun demonized at home yeah, and yet he was such a patriot. He was such a life. And what the irony is, part of him being this this patriot was for him to uh, be accused of being a traitor. Crowley, more than any other single individual, was responsible for the United States coming into World War One on England's side. How so? I Crowley, Crowley came to the United States got a job, convinced a German, an English-language German propaganda newspaper, convinced them that he was a German sympathizer. He got a job with the newspaper, and this was at a time when America was trying to stay neutral. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, sentiment in the United States, if we were to go at w to war, sentiment in the United States was overwhelmingly in favor of going to war on Germany's side. Huh. Crowley came to the United States as uh, uh, agent provocateur for, for England, got a job with a, a German propaganda newspaper, and started, and started to write editorials advocating unrestricted submarine warfare and all the things that we were afraid Germany was going to do, including the, the sinking of the Lusitania. Crowley's editorials were what was quoted in Congress that got the United States into the war on England's side rather than Germany's. We've got to start to wrap up. I want to thank Lon, Milo Duquette, folks. Thank you so much, Lon. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. See you all next time. You take care, my friend. You Stay warm. Person witness accounts for yours right now, nightfrightshow.com.